Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. I'm very excited uh, that Carson Gross is here uh, talking about HTMX because I took a look at this and it's really mm -hmm. something fascinating. I can't wait to get into the conversation. But All I saw was the word WebSockets. I knew you were going to be happy. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Everything in, under one roof. I like that too. But anyway, how are you? Mr. I birthday boy. Fine. Yeah, yeah. We're happy to be recording on my, my birthday. And uh, yeah, I think that got nothing to complain. You know, things are good, busy, you know, lots of stuff going on at the same time. But uh, I, you know, I'm doing the dad things these days of helping daughters set up their homes. Yeah. So, yep. uh, you know, got, got the, the one of the daughters just got a new place. So we went through it, figured out where all the Ethernet jacks need to be, pulled wire for two days to get yep. everything wired up. Uh, gigabit symmetrical Ethernet uh, internet is good these days, and then a decent Wi-Fi access point, and then figuring out the points that were nearby and adjusting channels to optimize. Like that's cool. You can spend a few days just giving, making sure the house has really good Wi-Fi. I did a little home improvement this week. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we had our kitchen painted. Oh nice. And as we was, were, was the kitchen mostly wood? Well, I'm not talking about the wood. I'm talking about the wall. You okay. Know, the, the white wall. It was it was never painted since we moved in, you know, 10, 11 mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah, you've had it for a while. Yeah. And also the recessed lights were kind of meh. They were janky. not looking good. They were janky. And what <laughs> happened was it was going to be a two-day project. But after a uh, local guy, he's a musician turned painter, uh, Bobby Crash, he looked at everything and he looked at the speakers that were in the wall, you know, these crappy speakers yeah. that the previous owner had in there that are like from the Carter administration or something. Anyway, uh, he says, Hey, these speakers, you want them out? And I said, yeah. So, and meanwhile, you know, the wife is having a cigarette outside or something like that. She didn't hear the conversation. So he comes, she comes back in. And he's he's taking, taking the speakers out. out. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's <laughs> like, Carl told me to take the speakers out. Of course, when he pulled them out, they disintegrated. They were like, right. there's no way. She yeah. So anyway, it turned into a five-day escapade, but it looks yeah. absolutely beautiful. Brand new I mean, recessed you, lights, everything. There is almost no difference between a renovation and a software project, right? Absolutely. I mean, as soon as you get in there, you're going to find things and, <laughs> uh, you know, scope is going to creep, yeah. so to speak. But yeah. and, we, and everything involves more spackle than you think. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but you'd never know there was any, ever, any holes or anything in the ceiling nice. it's just perfect so yeah it's beautiful yeah awesome yeah that's me all right well let's get started with a little thing we call better know a framework uh, awesome all right man what do you got well um i've seen this library out on the webs and uh i don't really use it myself but i wanted to tell everybody about it it's a blazer eyes with an S. What? So B L A Z O R I S E dot com. Oh, what's a Blazorize? Blazorize is right from the website, a component library that's free, open source, built on top of Blazor with support for CSS frameworks like Bootstrap, Bulma, Ant Design, and Material. Nice. And they have a GitHub repo and it's very easy to use and they've got a lot of good demos and things. So. So there you go. I mean, it's just pure HTML, JavaScript, CSS, whatever. So really styling for your Blazor app. Styling for your Blazor app. But they have components that you might use, you know, in your in your Blazor app, but just all based on CSS frameworks. Nice. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. It is cool. That's a neat find. Yep. So know it, learn Good it, one. love it. Pretty simple. No real discussion about it, but... Uh, no. You should look at this. Look at it. You know, dealing with that problem. Yeah. So who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1741, the one we did back in May of 2021 with Mr. Hunter talking about what's coming at Build yeah. or what came at Build. Because I think we released that after the announcement. Right, so it was, at Build. We'd recorded it before, but actually published it during. We can do that because we're time travelers. Yeah, we have magic that way. And, and Kyle has this great comment. He says, Carl and Richard... Thanks for doing what you've been doing best. It's because of your podcast that this middle-aged senior developer still knows what's going on in the world huh. and can do so while mowing the lawn or shoveling snow. But I'm curious. <laughs> there was a mention of using frameworks like React or Node simply because that's what's unknown about .NET Core 5, 6, Blazor, or whatever the rest of the dev world is using. None of those frameworks aren't good in their own ways. 
but any advice to a developer that has to deal with the now dated MS reputation in job interviews? Will cool companies ever adopt these frameworks? Hey, you know, my answer is if they don't, it sucks for them. They're going to be left <laughs> behind, you know? I don't. I, I think what Kyle's hinting at is he's probably working in a in a dot in an organization using .NET that hasn't made the hop the core, or or doesn't understand that you know Microsoft is all about open source now and mm-hmm. and supporting the entire community, not just the Windows consuming community. Yes, and uh, and yeah, I think it is a challenge to find companies, uh, you know, depending on what circle you're running in. Uh, and is it a challenge for you on your resume if you've only worked in standard framework too to say, hey, I'm willing to embrace these things? I, and I guess the answer to that is best to go embrace those things. Right. You know, go contribute to some other projects and things. And you know what? We could use some help over on uh, Humanitarian Toolbox. Come write some view with us. There you go. You know, they, there's ways to demonstrate in your resume. Yeah, I worked for a, a pretty traditional company building pretty traditional .NET software, but on the side, I did some other things and I'm familiar with these new staff. Yep. Doesn't have to just be straight up, you know, nine to five work too. Exactly. I'm not asking people to, you know, work down around the clock and do nothing else, but there's no reason not to do some experiments. It does, you know, I dusted off some C sharp code for the first time in a long time, friend. You did? Turns out, yeah, I'm finishing working on the migration for run as, and I had to generate a bunch of blobs of JSON. And wow, I, I was going to do it in Python because I've been writing a lot of Python lately. And like, you know what? I haven't done anything in C sharp for a while. And uh, it's still in you, you know? It doesn't take very long before, oh, yeah, I can do a stream object here, and off you go. That's right. So, you know. It's like having children. Yeah, something like that. Maybe <laughs> a little less fun and, and, and more pee, but okay. Uh, but, you know, I think to that point, it's like spend a day. Remind yourself. Do some exploration. Try some things on. Yep. And, uh, you know, you've got the core skill. You think like a developer. Yeah. They're, they're just not that different, really. So, Kyle, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or off of Facebook, too, because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, but definitely use the quick drying latex. <laughs> Otherwise... <laughs> world of hurt. Hey, let's introduce Carson. Carson Gross runs a small software shop called Big Sky Software and is the CTO of Lead Dino, L-E-A-D-D-Y-N-O. He's been programming uh, since 1998 on the web, of course, and he's the creator of HTMX, Hyperscript, and Intercooler JS. Is Intercooler cooler than JS? Well, <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. uh, no. <laughs> It's uh, it's probably no. not certainly certainly <laughs> not uh, in the probably in the eyes of most people who are in the JS community. Um, it's actually that's the oldest one, Intercooler JS. HTMX is sort of Intercooler JS 2.0. So uh, it was a ah, it was a rename. Okay, well everybody's curious. What the heck is HTMX? Yeah, um, HTMX. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm really excited to be able to reach people in the .NET community. Um, I've had a lot of success with HTMX in Django recently, the Django community, sort of Python. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, that's been going really great, uh, unexpected. Um, and I've always had a soft spot in my heart for .NET. Um, I, uh, I talked with, uh, or uh, I was a big fan of Anders Heigelsberg, the, the designer of C Sharp. Yeah. Um, I've worked on some languages oh, yeah. I'm a, I work on programming languages sort of, uh, as well as a hobby. And, uh, he's just been sort of, a, uh, not necessarily a hero, but someone I'm a big fan of. Um, so, uh, it's really nice. Well, I, TypeScript this, too, so, certainly. TypeScript. Right? Um, I actually taught a C sharp class back in the day when I was in grad school. So <laughs> as much as I used to tease them, Delphi is actually an extraordinary. Oh yeah. Language, no, uh, you know, and for, for it's Turbo era. Pascal. I mean, there's a, a bunch yeah. of stuff that he just, yeah, he's a, he's an amazing engineer. So I've got a funny story about him that I can tell maybe at the end of the podcast. Um, no, no, you got to tell it now. No, I have to tell so it now. Okay. Tell it now. I'll tell it now. So, oh, yeah. um, I was in graduate <laughs> school and, uh, I was, my wife and I lived, uh, in Palo Alto right across from the Stanford shopping mall. And we would go in the mornings, uh, and just walk 
the shopping mall is a really beautiful mall and uh there's they've got a lot of beautiful plants and so forth and uh, we had a stroller my youngest son and so we're walking around this is before any of the stores open and so there's no one there um and we would just walk around and we're walking around one morning and anders heigelsberg is walking through the mall there's literally 10 people in the entire area and and him. And I'm one of maybe five people in the city of Palo Alto who would recognize the guy. And I, and I freak <laughs> out and I run up to him and I, I'm saying, Anders, I got to take a picture with you with my wife. And uh, my wife, you know, gets out her, her camera and takes a picture of me with my, with my arm around this, you know, he's a very, uh, you know, quiet, and intellectual guy. He's got this maniac. He's mm-hmm. trying to take a picture with him like 7 a.m. <laughs> 7 a.m. in the in yeah. a mall with no yeah, one I around. Just, if I just stand yeah, still, he, yeah, maybe he'll he's go away. looking for escape routes and one <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's all good. good day. He's a uh, mm. but yeah, big fan of Anders. So Anders, if you're listening, yeah, we are too. Good job. Um, so that's my Many story. Jobs. Yeah, that's my story about Anders. But um, to get back to what HTMX is, and we'll talk mainly about HTMX today. Um, HTMX is a front end framework. Um, so it's uh, for uh, it's for use in your in your HTML, and it's an HTML centric front end framework. And by that, what I mean hmm. is that um, you work directly in your HTML. And that's in contrast to uh, the mo- more popular JavaScript frameworks that are out there, uh, like uh, Vue or React, where you typically are focused mainly on JavaScript work, TypeScript, depending right. on how you're doing it. Um, and uh, what HTMX does, again, I think this is in contrast to most uh, JavaScript frameworks that are out there today, is uh, it tries to extend HTML. So it goes with the grain of HTML and uh, takes the, the original concepts that were built into HTML, um, namely anchor tags and uh, forms, and tries to extend that, that conceptually into the rest of your HTML. So uh, if we were to think about a link, an anchor tag, uh, for example, that we might create in an application, um, you would say, you know, A and then href and your href would have a URL in it. And then when the user clicked on that href, uh, the browser would load whatever content was available at that URL into the browser. I think probably everyone listening Hmm. to this podcast is familiar with that. And so what HTMX does is it takes that and uh, it uh, basically abstracts that idea. So um, you now with HTMX and with an anchor tag, you'd say href equals. Well, in HTMX, you can uh, you can add an attribute to any element, to any element on the screen. Um, and uh, that uh, the attribute that would be the equivalent of an anchor tag would be hx get. And so you, uh, rather than saying href equals, say, slash example, you would say hx get equals slash example. And what that's going to tell HTMX to do is uh, when something happens, and we'll talk about what that something is in a second, um, issue a request, an Ajax request in this case, um, to slash example, and then take that whatever's returned from that URL uh, in HTML form and swap it into the DOM. And so um, rather than doing a full page refresh, it's going to take that HTML content and then swap it into the DOM in some place. Um, So now how would that get triggered? Well, that would get triggered. Well, bef- bef- to- before you go on, I, I, before you go on, I think your what you say on your website under motivation yeah. is the perfect sort of big picture introduction. So it's like, why should only anchor and form tags be able to make HTTP requests? Why mm-hmm. should only click and submit events trigger them? Why should only get and post be available? And why should you be only be able to replace the entire screen? And you say by removing these arbitrary constraints. HTMX completes HTML as a true hypertext. Yeah, as a hypermedia. That is, that is yep. yeah, right. So you're adding all these things with attributes that you can do with CSS and WebSockets and all these things yeah. uh, to HTML without having to refer to some JavaScript library or some CSS file. I love that. Yep. So, uh, all right. 
that's a great big picture. So continue. Yeah. So, and exactly. So we've, we've talked about, you know, why should only anchor tags and forms be able to make requests? That's sort of what I was getting at mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. the click and, and submit events. Well, if you think about HTML, it's kind of unfortunate that really the only way natively to drive interactions with the server is with a click on a link or a submit of a form. And so there are other things that you might want to, to have happen that would, you know, cause a request. So a good example, Example: If we get into the example section of the website, is uh, yeah. is uh, an, uh, a uh, an active search, and uh, with active search, that's when you're typing into a, a text box, and search results are coming back as you as you type. Very common on the right. on the net now, and uh, that is triggered by a key up event. And so uh, HTMX provides ways to to hook in to arbitrary events and then to filter them and debounce them so you get the right you know behavior out of them and so forth. And so that's that's a big part of what HTMX brings to the table is this ability to not just have these standard clicks and submits that are driving interactions, but any sort of event um, that you might that you might want. There's a there's a really good example on the page where you have a, you, the hx-post attribute has the event, and then the hx-swap attribute has the ID of the div that needs to update as a result of that Ajax call. Yeah, that's right. In in one line. Yep, one line. No JavaScript, and it's all attribute. It's all very familiar, I hope, attributes for uh, develop web developers who are comfortable with HTML. It's a big focus of the library is to say, HTML oriented. We're, we're going to stay in yeah. HTML. We're going to try and do our development in HTML uh, as much as possible. Now, you know, it's a practical library. There are going to be times when you have to kick out to something else, maybe a little bit uh, with a little bit more customization available. Um, there's a there's an right. events mechanism that you can hook into to customize a lot of this stuff as well. Um, but you, uh, I think your uh, listeners would be very surprised to find just how much they can accomplish with just these simple conceptual ideas um you know being able to make have anything issue a request being able to respond to any event to drive that request being able to issue get post delete patch whatever you want from these with these requests and then being able to target uh different areas on the screen for replacement rather than doing this big clunky replace the whole screen um which you are have there with- any requirements on the server side on the API controller side no i've tried to be really and this is one reason why i'm excited to come on this podcast is that i've been try i've tried to be uh very front end only focused so hmm. uh there's there's no requirements on the back end all the back end has to do is be able to return html and every backend can return HTML. And so uh, I, I, I wanted to be very disciplined about not requiring anything from the backend when it comes to working with HTMX. And that's, you know, along the lines of HTML. HTML doesn't care what your backend is written in, right? And uh, I think that's a strength of HTML. And I hope to uh, have that be one of the strengths of HTMX. Uh, and that's to one of the big motivations for me when I created HTMX is that was that um, I was working on a Rails application and I didn't want to have a lot of JavaScript on my front end because when you have a lot of JavaScript on your front end, there's a tremendous amount of pressure, uh, especially a couple of years ago, less so now with TypeScript, but there was a tremendous amount of uh, pressure to adopt JavaScript on the back end. And I didn't want mm-hmm. to do that. Right. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel that that was a good JavaScript isn't a good fit on the service. I think TypeScript can be, but I'm not a big fan of JavaScript on the server. Um, although node has, you know, really improved that situation. Um, and so I, I, one of the motivations for HTMX was, Hey, I just want to write HTML, but I want to do more. I want that, that this hypermedia to give me the ability to build better UIs, um, without forcing me into some other programming paradigm um, without forcing me to use some other language or use very much of it anyways. So your JavaScript library that supports HTMX is really the only JavaScript that you need to do most of the things that you need to do. How big is that? Uh, it's So uh, it's 10K and it has no dependencies. 
Um, so it's great. Relatively small. You can drop it in. It's very incremental, um, particularly when compared, I think, with many of the JavaScript frameworks yeah. that you look at today, where uh, you often have to kind of adopt a whole mindset and there's a lot of junk to get going. With HTMX, you could slap a couple attributes on one part of your system where it adds a lot of value and that's it and you're done. And so you don't need... And these frameworks are also megabytes in size. Yeah, they're right? very, they can be very large. They can have lots of dependencies and all the rest of it. And so HTMX mm-hmm. is designed, you can load it off a CDN and just throw a couple attributes on you know, some part of your system where you want, say, active search, um, or maybe you want infinite scroll or whatever it is, and uh, and then just be done with it. And so uh, it's wow. really designed to be small and incremental in that in that regard. But one thing I noticed that you said is your your API endpoints just have to return HTML in the .NET space anyway. A lot of our API endpoints return DTOs okay. that are then consumed by either JavaScript or, in the case of Blazor, C Sharp. Right. And then, you know, we, we do something with that that just updates a model. And then the UI framework that we're using, you know, does what it needs to do with that. Right. So it is a little bit of a different paradigm in that you, you're, you're, you're have to return HTML from your component, from your controllers. Yeah, that's right. So, and, uh, that, that constraint, um, of working only with HTML is both a strength and a weakness of the framework. It is. I think it's a strength in that the hypermedia, the, the hypermedia approach has a lot of really nice aspects that come along with it. So you get restful, you know, people argue about whether or not a JSON API is restful. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, right. how big those arguments are now, but if you're using HTML, it's almost by definition restful. <laughs> you know, you've got it all right. all the way through Hadios. Right. And so um, you get all the advantages. If you believe those advantages of the restful approach to software building um, in contrast with the more RPC style uh, mode that a lot of people build uh, apps in. And so you get some flexibility and the ability to update things dynamically and so forth. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, as Fielding, Roy Fielding, the person who wrote the, his, his dissertation is where this terminology comes out of, the rest terminology comes out of. And mm-hmm. um, he, as he said, uh, it's really, this architecture is best for, uh, for large grain hypermedia transfers. So, when I, when someone starts getting too needly with HTMX, they're just trying to do too much with it. Um, I will often tell them, Hey, this might not be the best fit for HTMX in your application. And that's okay. There may be some other thing that you need to use for this part of the application. That doesn't mean you have to tear HTMX out. Doesn't mean you have to figure out how to do it in HTMX. Um, HTMX is probably going to simplify the rest of your application. And then you can dedicate. It looks that way. You can dedicate some of your complexity budget, which is a concept I like to talk about, to making this little needly part work just right. Maybe that's with web sockets. Maybe that's with server sent events. If the uh, HTMX approach to those two things isn't quite up to snuff, maybe you just write some vanilla JS and that's okay. (laughs) I'm pretty pragmatic about that sort of stuff. So, so at at the end of the day, any element, not just an anchor or a form, can issue in any HTTP request, right? Get, post, put, delete. Um, any event, not just clicks or form submissions, can trigger requests. And any HTTP verb, as I said, get and post, delete, can be used. So that that's that just opens up a whole world. That and when you think about it, I'm thinking about this. I'm like. Yeah, well, where's this been for the last 20 years, right? I mean, seriously, that this is sort of, you know, bringing HTTP to its logical conclusion, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with that. I don't, I, I've said this before, but I don't feel that HTMX should have to exist. I feel like this is sort of how HTML should work. Um, you know, yes, I said HTTP, not HTML. Yeah. yeah, this is how HTML should work. Yeah, yeah, I view this as a complete hypermedia. That's I don't want to get too nerdy for your audience, but HTML just kind of stopped being advanced as a hypermedia. They did links right. and they did forms, right. and then they just kind of said, "Well, JavaScript's there, so good luck, kids." JavaScript will do the rest. Yeah, yeah. and an, uh, an interesting and, point that it's just a logical extension to every element ought to have these abilities. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, uh, and certainly, I mean, I think just, uh, 
if they just picked one thing, just the ability to replace one part of the screen <laughs> rather than the whole thing. Because yeah. the, the, the real usability yeah. issue with HTML, with pure HTML based applications is that big clunky reload. Oh, and, yeah. You know, that's what people don't want to see. They, it just feels wrong. Yeah. In my experience, doing a simple button click to call out to a service, uh, you know, a controller, take the results and update HTML, if you're doing that manually, if you're doing that manually, uh, it's going to take four or five different methods. It's going to take, you know, a whole page full of code Yeah. to, to handle that simple request. Yep. Um, yeah. And so, you know, my, again, my hope is that with this library, some of your listeners will be able to simplify fairly dramatically, um, some of their, uh, some of their, their web applications or go in the other direction. They may have older web applications that are built with, you know, uh, is it, uh, .NET MVC? In the, in the more old mm-hmm. school yep. manner, and they just want to add some functionality to that application. Well, HTMX is a way to do that without committing to a big rewrite uh, and w- without, for example, learning the entire view stack or the entire React stack. You can just put a couple, couple of attributes in and off you're off to the races. So, Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's hostile to other frameworks being around. That this will live, as opposed to a lot of other JavaScript frameworks where it's like, hey, if you're committed to the Angular path, it kind of owns your world. There's a couple of add-ons you can use, but not very many. This seems a lot lighter. It can step in and take over some work in HTML rather than writing a lot of JavaScript for it. Yeah, that's right. Um, There And there there are also JavaScript libraries that play very well. So... HTMX is very focused on server interactions, and I've tried to be mm-hmm. disciplined about not getting too far beyond that. In the in the older mm-hmm. in intercooler JS, I, I was really trying to replace JavaScript everywhere, and so right. because of that, it sort of became a maximalist library without me really <laughs> thinking about it. Um, and with HTMX, sure. I really tried to focus in and say we're just gonna we're gonna try and extend HTML as a hypermedia. Um, I was. I, thought about it enough to understand it in those terms. And uh, we're going to just drive server interactions in a hypermedia-ish way. Um, mm-hmm. And so that leaves things, there are things you want to do on the front end that that doesn't address. So if you want to toggle a class on a div somewhere, which is a very common front end pattern, HTMX isn't going to help you there. Um, and right. so what I in the in that case, what I've said is okay. We're going to defer to other libraries to handle that. So the the one that's most popular in the Django community and that I see on Twitter the most is Alpine JS, which um, some, your listeners may or may not be familiar with. But that's a way to embed JavaScript kind of in the DOM. And so it's 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 uh, I guess how do I want to say this? It's intellectually or uh, it's philosophically compatible with HTMX in that you are working in HTML. Um, yeah, it seems and, similar metaphor. Yep, exactly. It's HTML centric. That's probably yeah. the best way to say it. In that you put your code in the HTML um, rather than spreading it around a lot of different places. And that mm-hmm. works fine when all you want to do is just toggle a class somewhere. Right. Um, and so Alpine JS, I think, is an example of a library that HTMX works very well with. And I would defer to something like Alpine JS for that functionality. Um, and that's fine, you know, or if you've got a, a part of your app that just has a lot of state going on and needs to be very highly dynamic, maybe view. I've heard that view scales very well. And so you can use it for a small part of your app. And so that's fine. Do that part in view. So I have a very specific question, which is, how do attributes come back from events? In other words, arguments like keyboard, uh, key press or mouse coordinates from a mouse entered or something like that. How do you get that data? Like if you have a div, for example, or any element. Yeah. Um, maybe the best thing to do would be just to talk through the, the, um, active search example. The life cycle of it. Is that reasonable? Okay. Sure. Let's go through that. Cause I think that'll, that'll, uh, maybe help kind of get, explain what you're talking about. Um, so if okay. you go, so uh, I'm going to be talking about the example on uh, htmx.org slash examples slash active dash search. That's the URL you can go to if you want to look at 
exactly the code that I'm going to be talking about. So this is okay. to, uh, what we're doing here. And there's a little active example you can look at down at the bottom of the page. Um, but um, what this is, is there's a small search box. And as you type into that, there's a table below. And that table is updated with, uh, with rows as you type. Uh, and uh, that's all done with HTMX. And that's accomplished with four attributes. And we'll just go through each one. Um, the first one. Okay, sure that we'll talk about is uh, there's, an, so uh, you've got your HTML, this HTML has an input in it. And uh, on that input, uh, you have the following HTMX attributes. You have HX okay. post, which is gonna tell uh, HTMX when uh, an event, when a, a request is triggered, I want you to post it to the slash search URL, which is a common URL okay. for searching. And then the next one is really what you were getting at um, about uh, how do you deal with events. Um, and that is the HX trigger attribute. And what this uh, attribute says in this example is key up, changed, delay, colon, 500 milliseconds. And so let's go through all of this. Well, um, okay. what that says is a request is going to be triggered when a key up occurs, but only if the input has value has changed. So if a key up occurs okay. after, for example, an arrow key, the value of the input hasn't changed and mm -hmm. HTMX will right. not issue a request. Great. And then... And the 500 milliseconds is like, I'm typing, don't interrupt me. Exactly. So that's called yeah. debouncing. Yeah. So you debounce right. de right. the input. And so the, the delay colon 500 milliseconds uh, is telling uh, HTMX, if another key up occurs within 500 milliseconds, don't issue the original request. So basically, mm -hmm. give, give the user Smart. some time to finish typing, and then we can issue the request. Again, a very common pattern online. Um, so and that's so that's that's how you would integrate with this event. That's how you would integrate with this event, uh, with the key up event uh, in HTMX. <clears throat> so you're not even inspecting the argument that comes back. You're mm -hmm. just saying, hey, when the value changes, send it off to this uh, endpoint. Yeah, and then you're going to use, so one of the aspects of, it, of HTMX is that um, if, uh, if, if it's an input uh, that is triggering a request or any element inside of a form, it's going to serialize that information as a form and send it up with the request. So much like right. HTML forms work, they, they just kind of work the same way. So that's how mm -hmm. you right, collect okay. input and send it up. You can use hidden inputs. There are attributes you can use to add stuff as well. And so um, you can do things uh, a few different ways. But yeah, that's where that that's where that's coming from. It's really using, uh, to, to use the term that you may have heard before, it's using hypertext as the engine of application state. So your input right. is coming from the context uh, that the element is defined in, in the HTML. But when that post occurs, you're not rewriting the page, right? This is literally like an Ajax call. Yep, exactly. So it's going to issue an Ajax request. And mm -hmm. then um, let's look, there's a couple more in, uh, attributes. So let's talk mm -hmm. about those and then we'll talk exactly about how the request happens. Um, so the next attribute is Ajax target. And that tells HTMX, where do I want to put the results that come back from the server? Right, right. Where do I want to put what the results? What element? Exactly. to change. And that's just a CSS selector. And this is a good example of where I'm trying to use concepts that people are already familiar with, right? The mm -hmm. obvious right. thing is a CSS selector. And so let's use that. And so in this case, it's hash or sharp um, search dash results. And there's a there's a div um, that is uh, that has the ID search results. And so this is going to put the results that come back from that request into that div. And then finally, there's something called H, uh, there's an attribute called HX indicator um, that again takes a CS, CSS selector. And that is an indicator that is going to be shown while the request is in flight. And so that gives you the opportunity to show a spinner or, you know, whatever, um, while the request is actually happening to give the user some feedback that, hey, there's a request that is occurring right now. Just chill out. You don't need to keep typing, right? Excellent. And so that, and it's all very declarative. Um, and so that's four, that's four total attributes. And uh, if you go to that page, again, that's htmx.org uh, slash examples slash active dash search. You can go down to the bottom and start typing and see that, um, you know, if you just type an A, for example, uh, you're going to get back a bunch of results that have A in it. And I think AE has a couple. So what are you, yeah. And so you can filter it down and you'll see a little uh, progress 
indicator pop up and so forth. The little and searching, a way, and, that's for, and that's from that HTMX indicator, right? The, the pop yeah, up, exactly. That, searching, that searching that you see pop up mm-hmm. is coming from that HX indicator where you're saying, hey, show this thing while this request is in flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you go down to the bottom of the examples page, there's a little kind of um, request history that you can click through and see exactly what the initial state of the page was and then the what's been returned uh, for each one for each request that's made. Yeah. And uh, that content is just being slammed into this table and that content could have links in it. It could have whatever you want. It's just HTML. So it's interesting that the, the uh, target is a table body. Yeah. Right. And all you've done to define this table is in the header, you've got a TR with three THs, the headers, first name, last name, email. And you didn't have to do any mapping. Nope. So it automatically knows what to put where? Well, so, so- or you say, oh, I know what it is. Your, your API control is returning. HTML, which is all the TRs and yep. TDs. I see now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an HTML-centric right. <laughs> mindset, which is going right, to be a mindset it, yeah. shift for many people. Um, it's, just sure. or, yep. it's just order, right? They, you, yeah. The TRs are the order they're going to come in. and You better get it right. But yep. that's... Yep. Yeah, you better get it right. Um, but that's an achievable engineering goal, I think, for most people. And so That's a reasonable sure. bar to hop over. Right. And so this, I think, is a good example of, you know, we've got four attributes here and we've added some functionality that would improve quite a few websites that I interact with on a day to day basis. Um, The ability to do active search on a given table comes up quite a bit and to not have it require a whole submit and the whole page refreshes and you lose all the external context and so forth is really nice. And so, you know, that that page refresh where you have to fight to refill the form of what they've already typed, like you're already on the wrong path if that's the battle you're having. Yeah, exactly. Hey guys, can you just Hold that thought for one minute while we take a moment for this very important message. When you're working on a project, you usually solve hundreds of problems every day. From your experience, you know how to deal with most of them and you Google the rest to find an answer, but what if you can't find it? What if your problem is too specific or related to a concrete tool? Kentico Content has got you covered. The technical support is available 24-7 right in the CMS. But wait, developers hate contacting support, right? Waiting a week for someone to send us a documentation link. Well, most of the support guys at Content are .NET developers like you. They use the CMS on a daily basis, and even for their pet projects. So whatever problem you might have, they probably know the answer. Talk with them as developer to developer. They're live 24-7 and reply almost instantly. Visit content.ai slash developers, that's K-O-N-T-E-N-T dot A-I slash developers, and you'll find a button there that takes you to your 30-day trial with full technical support. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Elastic. Elastic enables the world's leading organizations to put their data to work using the power of search. Whether it's connecting people in teams with content that matters, keeping applications and infrastructure online, or protecting entire digital ecosystems. Elastic's search platform is able to surface relevant results with speed and at scale. Learn how you can get started with Elastic's search platform for free at elastic.co slash .NET rocks. That's elastic.co slash D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S. All right, we're back. It's .NET Rocks. That's Richard Campbell. It's his birthday. Hey. I'm Carl Franklin, and that's Carson Gross, and we're talking about HTMX. Uh, Carson just gave a really great example of how to do a round-trip interaction searching on a key press. But, Carson, I guess there there was another um, situation or story in mind that I had, which is if you were going to do something client-side only, right, with, let's say, the mouse cursor. Like, let's say you want to use a canvas and when I move the mouse in this canvas, I want, you know, some weird blob shape or whatever I'm doing with my SVG or I don't know, whatever, to uh, move around. Um, typically, that JavaScript is going to need, you know, the X and the Y from the mouse coordinate. Right. So, I guess I guess what I'm asking is, is this not 
uh, an example that um, HTMX would be good at? Yeah, I would definitely not recommend HTMX for that particular use case. That's an example where you really need to get into the muck with the events. There's probably a lot of them. You know, you don't want to yeah. be triggering server requests. HTMX is really geared towards this server interaction Ajax. mechanism. Yeah. Ajax synchronizing with the server and doing it within the mindset of the original web model. So it's just it's yeah. it's a, it's just a different mindset, and there are strengths and weaknesses to it. The closer your but that's web- where the complex stuff is, right? It's right. in those server interactions. I mean, JavaScript is perfect for doing what I just said. Yeah, you know, because it's all client side, right? But, and it's it's more simple. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there are, there are some good examples. For example, uh, uh, if you look at the uh, sortable example, which is the last, it shouldn't be the last, but it is um, the uh, last example on the HTMX org slash examples uh, page. Um, this is an example where we are integrating HTMX with a third party JavaScript library, and we're doing it with events. Okay. And uh, so what this uses sortable JS, which is a JavaScript uh, library that lets you reorder stuff. You can drag and drop stuff on, on the page. And um, there's sort of two sides to this. First of all, HTMX uh, needs to, whenever it gets new content, be able to initialize the stuff that you want to be sortable. And so to do that, there's a, a JavaScript callback called HTMX.onload. And uh, that takes a function um, with the new content that's been added to the DOM. And you can use that to initialize your JavaScript library. So in this case, you you call new sortable on anything with the sortable class on it. The details of it aren't super important, but uh, if your listeners are familiar with jQuery, jQuery had an onload concept where, okay, when the page loads, do this. And this is sort of the equivalent uh, HTMX idea. Um, and then once we've done that, now we've added this sortable functionality to all the stuff that's in our DOM. So we've enhanced the HTML with JavaScript, sort of the original intent of JavaScript. Well, now what we can do is, um, the, that, that library sortable JS triggers events after a sorting occurs. Um, in particular, it trigger, triggers the end event when it's when a user has basically dropped reordered stuff. And so HTMX can work great with that. It can just listen with an HX trigger equals end um, on the div that surrounds all of your sortable stuff. And it can then synchronize that stuff with the server. And so if you go down and again, you uh, start playing around with the demo at the bottom, what it's going to do as you drag and drop things is it's going to trigger uh, this server request to say, okay, the user has dragged and dropped. It's time to sync this with the server. Um, so this is a good example where a third-party JavaScript's events, namely sortable.js's end event, is being used to drive a server interaction. And that server interaction just uses, once again, we're using HTML as the engine of application state here. It's the HTML that we're using to to synchronize with the server. And it all just works, you know, so the normal suddenly way. Suddenly I start thinking about event bubbling again. Yep. Hmm. Yep. You know, that, that, that all of that becomes relevant if you're living in this space. but And also That's just right. getting familiar with what events get raised by what elements yep. natively in HTML as well as from various JavaScript libraries. Yeah, I'm always, uh, I've actually done some work with libraries that users of HTMX have wanted to work with that didn't trigger good events, but just events mm-hmm. have kind of fallen on hard times, I feel like, to an yeah. extent. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I always liked it, um, particularly for UI uh, stuff. And um, so I've actually submitted some patches to open source projects to give them a better event model just so HTMX can work with with their events. Now this could have been, you could, you could redo this with sort of a click to edit and then, you know, a save button. There's many, there are many ways to do, to skin this cat, but this I think is a great example where we're integrating with third party events um, in order to just have HTMX is never going to be good at drag and drop. (laughs) That's just not what it's designed for. It's designed for driving server interactions. And so this so is that being example. said, you could build out a web page that eliminates all save buttons just by yeah. capturing the events of when they move off of that grid. Yep. Any changes that happen to that grid get pushed 
Yeah. There's a lot of applications out there like that. And after you use them, you get uh, conditioned that you don't have to push a save button anywhere. And then you go to somebody's, you know, 1999 website or whatever, and everything requires a save button. And you're, ah, the changed event is for, from inputs by default, the, um, the default event that an input will trigger a request on is changed. And so, um, so you can have each, you can have an input just on change drive, uh, driver request. You could also move that up. One thing about HTMX attributes is you can typically hoist them up. So if you have say three or four things that you want to target the same, uh, same part of the screen, you can put the HX target attribute on a parent element and they will all inherit that, that target. And so that's a way that you can avoid repeating yourself on all these elements. If you have sort of some common behavior, you want to, you want to standardize across a bunch of them. Absolutely. You really could start develop some interesting UI metaphors. And this, again, work with other libraries really painlessly because you're now taking advantage of that event model to trigger things you, you to go into things you want to do. Yep. Should, I, I don't really want to recap REST, but I feel like we might want to put some clarity around HX get versus HX post versus HX put versus HX patch versus yep. HX delete. Because I think we all kind of think we understand get and post, although I could argue that one. But the other three... Like, this seems like almost academic review and they obviously have potential in HTMX. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's a really good point. I, I feel, my feeling is that REST has made less and less sense in the industry as it has become adopted for JSON APIs um, because yeah. JSON is in a hypermedia and that's fine. Um, but it, it just makes a lot of the, the things that were unique about the REST model harder to achieve. And when you do achieve them, less useful. I think Mm -hmm. that's been a big source of pain for a lot of API developers. Um, And that's one reason why you're seeing things like GraphQL become so popular is that's really, they're kind of finally breaking free of the REST mindset. But um, Mm -hmm. the way REST is supposed to work, as you alluded to, is there are, it's a resource oriented architecture, resource oriented network architecture to be um, specific. And there's very few um, actions that you're allowed to take on a resource. And those actions are in, uh, in order get to get the resource that should return you, that should not mutate anything on the server, and it should just return a representation of whatever that resource is. Um, post, which uh, I believe is mainly intended for the creation uh, rather than uh, than the uh, uh, than updating things. We because mm-hmm. get and post were really the only things that were available early on. We tend to right. only use those two th- those two actions, um, but uh, it's it's really more for creating things. Um, there's put which uh, is intended to replace an element entirely. Right. Um, like update. Yeah. It's kind of like update, but not really. It's more, it's supposed, put is supposed to contain all of the data that you want put there. Yeah. Um, and so that's it's, in contrast. It's, a, it's with really all- a replace. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. People use it as update. I do myself. So, you know, but if you're being, mm-hmm, right. you know, pure about it, patch is actually what you should use to do updates. Um, because patches yeah. here's a bit of inf- you know update only a few things uh, uh, for this resource. Yeah, between post put and patch, there's at least one too many there. <laughs> well, yeah. So put if you have the entire entity to replace, yep. and patch if you have a a, a portion, you know, a, a DTO. Basically, yeah, there's some fields you want updated. Just mm-hmm. the fields that you want updated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then finally, delete is the, there are a few others, but we'll just close with delete, which is intended to delete the thing at that resource. And, uh, so those are the, that's, those are the core restful actions. And then this was never specified in Fielding's dissertation. Again, Roy Fielding wrote a dissertation very early on in the web, which is where all this language comes from. I have a difficult time recommending it to people because the language is very difficult. Um, and just it's, it's a PhD thesis, but, that's where all this stuff comes from. Um, and reads accordingly. It does. It does. You have to. It's it's a great PhD thesis, but a little I, rough for <laughs> day-to-day development. I, I, just, I just went and grabbed the link from uh, from UCI, and it's, it's like chapter five. Yep. 
Yeah, Chap- dissertation that has chapters. <laughs> yeah, good old chapter but, five. Chapter five is probably the only one worth reading. And even yeah. that, I think it's chapter five, section two is what I would focus on. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, but in any event, uh, you know, and we're used now, I think most of us are used to um, uh, a URL layout that is what has come to be called RESTful, although it's not mentioned specifically in the dissertation, as far as I'm aware, which is if you have a contact contacts in your system, then contact 35 will end up at the URL slash contact slash 35. And so if you want to update a con- that contact with the ID 35, you're going to do a patch or a, a put to that URL. Um, and so there's that URL pattern about it. And so that's sort of, that's, that's part, that's the network part of REST. But then there's this whole other aspect of hypermedia, which um, again, once you go to JSON, it no longer really applies very well. Um, people mm-hmm. try to make up for that by encoding links in their JSON. Um, but uh, my, my, my take on that is it hasn't been nearly as successful as HTML was. Some people argue about that, but I think you can say reasonably and objectively that uh, JSON links have not been as successful as HTML has been. Uh, HTML yeah. is a native hypermedia. And yeah. the idea with uh, on that side of the REST in the entire REST network is that your hypermedia contains what are called self-describing messages. And that sounds pretty fancy pants, but all that means is when I go to, you know, google.com and the browser, you know, the browser gets back some uh, some information, that information is entirely self-describing in that um, the browser doesn't know anything about google.com. It just gets some HTML and renders whatever google.com is. And if Google decides to change that to something else, the browser's like, all right, I'm going to render it and the user is going to have to figure it out. So that message is self-describing in a way that just a JSON payload, for example, is not. Um, And so that's really, in my mind, that's the big thing. That's the big idea in hypermedia systems um, is that they have this self-describing nature to them, which is extremely flexible um, in a way that dumb data APIs, APIs that are just returning JSON, for example, do not have. They, they just don't have that same characteristic to them. And that to me is what made the web very flexible um, and uh, a very successful software platform. When I'm looking at the swap options and thinking, yeah, you would talk about the flexibility. It's like when you do a swap of outer HTML, you're like, eliminate what was already here, bring in something new entirely. You could do whatever you wanted at that point. Yep. Yeah, and you can append, you can prepend, you can you can append yeah. after instead of there's uh, some standard language from the DOM API about appending within at the end or after, which are two different ways to append content. So HX swap, the HX swatch swap attribute allows you to control that to determine exactly how yeah. you want things to be swapped in. And I did one thing that um, we were talking about events earlier. One thing I will say is HTMX, because it can't be all things, because it's so focused on this driving server interactions from the DOM, mm-hmm. um, it triggers a lot of events. And so uh, other JavaScript libraries or, you know, vanilla JS, whatever you need to do, can hook in to a bunch of different parts of the HTMX request lifecycle and do things, um, you know, it, as as is necessary. So if you have some complicated part of your application that needs, for example, a view in order to pull off correctly, then it can trigger events that HTMX can respond to. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, you can hook into events from HTMX to wire information back to, uh, to your more complicated part of your application if necessary. So I've really tried to use events as a, as a core idea in the library so that just you can get its stuff when you need to. One problem with this more declarative style of programming is that uh, if the developer hasn't thought of everything, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, right. you, you can't get in there because you're not knowing things, objects up and doing stuff yourself. And so right. um, in order yep. to address that, we've tried to have develop a fairly um, strong event mechanism that you can use to hook in. Yeah, this is scratching some old memories of DOM structures and things that I hadn't thought, you know, I realized we have hidden ourselves from a lot of that with JavaScript, with these libraries. I haven't heard that name in a long time. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But it's the, you know, you're really using the features that HTML's had for a long time that have been hidden from us um, with ID tags, largely. You know, that's what we've done instead is we just 
tagged up everything so you didn't have to think about what the elements did. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I, again, I, I think HTMX is trying to take HTML that we're all hopefully, at least to some extent, familiar with and just ex- expand its expressiveness, you know? So yeah. let's finish let's, it in a way. Why wasn't this always here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm, I mean, I don't know. I there's a, sometimes I post that meme from Zoolander. Uh, doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, um, and I do feel like, <laughs> I do feel like at times I'm taking crazy pills because uh, you know there's just you can achieve a lot with the hypermedia architecture yeah. was really really interesting and innovative and very successful. Um, there were problems with it. Um, yes, uh, you know the clunky UI being the primary one, but I, I don't feel like it took a whole lot of uh, effort to improve that pretty dramatically. And it, and it was a direction. This is also the direction that TBL intended too, right? He was very much a hypertext guy. That's what he cared about when he was implementing HTML and uh, for the web in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, it's, you know, you never know what the internal politics of the situation were. And I, I know the um, HTML5 kind of didn't go over as well as I think people had hoped. They focused on stuff that I don't, uh, you know, not that they would ever listen to me. But. Well, I think one of the problems is that the driving forces for making, for growing out the web were developers and they tend towards programming languages. I mean, you want to talk right. about a common meme. It's the mocking anyone who says I program in HTML. Yeah. Right. right? Like yep. that's the meme. And they don't treat this as for what it actually is, this hypertext uh, in- information system and all of the potential it has. We yep. What we did instead 10 years ago was mature JavaScript. And yep. make that the driving force for web development. Yep, that's right. And so we've, and at some level, we've returned to earlier models of development because a lot of JavaScript apps to me feel like swing applications and thick client, like VB mm-hmm. apps that I mm-hmm. built back in the day. Um, oh, yeah. No, you, know, you, you somehow took this crazy scripting <laughs> language for browsers and made it into Java beans. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and which is, fun, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages to it, but. But I, I, I feel that there is an underappreciation of the hypermedia HTML-oriented mechanism that the web initially was built on. It's particularly with younger people who've just never even seen this sort of stuff. I mean, you know, older right. people like us, you know, we, we kind of know what the web was like at the start and went through the whole thing. But there's a lot of people out there who think, you know, web development is just React. And yeah. to me, or before you that know, jQuery. Yeah. Or, or jQuery. It drives, uh, drives me crazy when people consider jQuery JavaScript and, yeah. you know, how to do something in JavaScript. And yeah. yeah. Okay. I is fair. Let's blame John Resig for everything. This is his fault. <laughs> he did this. Well, that was good at the time. Yeah. I, you know, and I don't, I, again, I don't want to come across as saying that it's always the wrong thing. It's not. Um, but mm. it, I, I, again, there's an underappreciation of the hypermedia model that I, I'm really trying to fix here and say, you mm-hmm. know, for a lot of apps, the hypermedia model is better um, for the app, or at least for most of the app. And it's certainly a lot simpler. And so, um, you know, if you can use HTMX, uh, for example, to save some of that complexity by using HTMX and the hypermedia model for 90% of your app, then you're going to be able to work on that one part of your app that is really gnarly and that does need this yeah. more crazy client server model um, and, you know, isolate that complexity there. So it doesn't bleed into everything. Your 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 settings page or whatever your landing page doesn't have to <laughs> use right. all this crazy technology to just render some HTML. Just sure. render it on the server. Hey, before we run out of time, can we talk a little bit about your WebSockets wrapper here? Like this, ex- adding extensions so that you can do WebSockets as attributes of some tag, uh, some elements. This is awesome. Like that's yeah, really so- exciting. So uh, WebSockets and server sent events, um, both both of those technologies are available. They're declarative again. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, I, I, I feel that the this works well for, um, for certain patterns. So it's not a general solution for WebSockets. But right. if you are willing with your WebSockets to return HTML 
and that HTML is uh, uh, formatted, you, you're willing to format it correctly, you can hook into a WebSocket um, with the hx-ws attribute. And uh, you can say connect to this particular WebSocket URL. And uh, then when things, uh, when content comes down, that content will be inspected for the, the, the ID basically of the element it's intended to replace and will be swapped into the DOM directly. Perfect. Again, an HTML oriented mechanism. And then there's also another mechanism uh, where you can send kind of in a form-like way, you can send information up the WebSocket. And so to do that, you use a send colon submit uh, syntax in order to drive interactions both ways. So you basically are streaming HTML back and forth over WebSockets in that case. It's not JSON. That's so cool. It's not JSON. Um, it's yeah. HTML and you, again, it's a, it's a headspace change. Um, but if you're willing to do that, now you get to render everything on the server side, which comes with a tremendous uh, number of benefits. It can be simpler. Believe it or not, it can be faster than JSON, um, at times. Um, it's certainly yeah. faster to swap into the DOM. Um, and, uh, a big thing for me when I talk about why people should consider doing their rendering on the server side is actually security. Um, because yeah, when you, when point. you're rendering this UI on the server side, you have the whole context of who is asking and you don't need, and in addition to that, you're also able to give that server side developer full access to the data store. So they can do whatever crazy SQL they need to, to make this fast. You know, you don't, if you, if you give that power to a front end developer, suddenly you have to worry a whole bunch about security because now if a front end, if a front end developer can do it, so can a client, they can fire up the console right. in the browser and they can start hammering on your data store. And so you have to be really extremely careful with what you give to that front end developer in contrast to what you give to the back end developer. Um, I'm, you know, I've been on Twitter lately kind of uh, joking about full stack developers rising up. You know, I want, <laughs> I want to bring back the full stack developer. Um, and, you know, let's, Let's bring back this idea that it's okay to produce HTML on the back end and do your work on the back end um, with all the benefits that come uh, along with that. And we'll produce our HTML and stream that to the front end instead. And when you adopt that model, um, then suddenly you, you really give your, your full stack developers superpowers because mm-hmm. they can optimize across the entire, they can optimize from the UI all the way back to the data store in a way that is difficult if you have a, a, a serious front-end, back-end split. You'll see online people, they talk about how the API developers are always beset upon and they're adding new special endpoints and there are these arguments about what should be where and so forth. And those arguments, to a large extent, can uh, can be avoided if you're just doing all your work on the back-end and you make that you turn that back-end developer into a full-stack developer or you take that front-end developer and make them aware of, hey, SQL is a great tool <laughs> or my, mm-hmm, yeah. my, my, my OR mapping layer is a great tool. Let's work together and we can get this done in a controller in a way that's fast and gives you what you want. Um, so um, I need to, I need to uh, mention this and this is a really good segue. Last week's show, I showed off a, toolkit that I wrote a toolkit. It's a, a GitHub repo called low code API. Yeah. And uh, this was a way that you could use the models from EF or whatever and generate a controller. And it's not a good idea to do this in production. It's great for low code demos and stuff, but without the, the work that you're talking about of uh, abstracting data transfer objects just for exactly the stuff you want to expose at the API level, you're really opening up your entire system to anybody who has access to those controllers because they can post, they can delete, they can do all that kind of stuff. If they have access and they have security access, they can make changes in references and, you know, uh, foreign keys and, and wreak havoc with your system. So I just wanted to mention that because I didn't mention it yesterday in Better Know Framework. But uh, I have updated the repo to put that warning in there. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think there's there are a lot of people that are doing front end development that don't understand the security ramifications of what they're right. doing. Um, yeah. I just don't. Th- I think there's going to eventually be kind of a 
maybe a catastrophe that happens because we just kind of rushed in to right. this, uh, to solutions to this problem, um, rather right. than thinking about the fact that the, the core problem here is that the front end is not a trusted computing environment. The, right, the, right. A, a user can fire up a console and do whatever they want. Whereas, yeah. uh, so if you give a tool to your front end developer, you're giving it to that hostile user. Whereas on the back end, you can give your, you know, your uh, object relational mapping system to the developer because it, only they are able to do it. Now they might screw it up. There might be a security issue in there because they screwed it up, but that's different than just handing that OR layer to your, <laughs> to your end users and saying, please, you know, please don't yeah. figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I think the only reason it has been exploited is that the ransomware people are too busy exploiting so many other things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is not yeah. about that. We don't have it. They, yeah. This is a race of who's got the least secure systems going on right now. Cause it's <laughs> guys, the situation is bad. It's pretty like, bad. They, 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 this Kaseya, they uh, exploit that's gone across 1500 companies. These were vulnerabilities known in 2006. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and the conversations are tough too. Um, you know, I, I remember early on when I was working on intercooler JS, I got into it with one of the React developers from Facebook on Hacker News mm -hmm. in the comments. And we kind of got down to the end and he was like, Oh yeah, you have to do, you have to do row level checking. And I was just like, who do you think is really doing row level checking that's going to be using this tool? Nobody. But yeah, I mean, maybe luck. Facebook can get away with it. But my understanding is that Facebook uses a whitelist now for for uh, for GraphQL uh, for GraphQL queries, and I'm that's fine. But I mean, is everyone out there who's using GraphQL writing whitelists? No, <laughs> very few yeah. people are, and uh, it's just a huge security hole. So, it, but you know, uh, the industry moves slow, and I think people are starting to realize that, and uh, you know, they're addressing it, and so. Uh, the next few right. years, I think that'll be a bigger and bigger issue. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. So, Carson, thank you very much. This is very, very innovative and uh, long overdue and brilliant. So, thank you. Exciting stuff. Yeah, really great. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I, uh, I'm really excited for to bring this to the .NET community. Again, I'm trying to... This is designed purely for front end. And one thing I often joke about is hypertext on whatever you'd like, the Howl stack. <laughs> so use use <laughs> HTML on whatever backend you want. And so you don't need to feel bad that you're not using whatever the new cool thing is. You know, as long as you're willing stack. to use HTML, you know, you can have, have an effective application built out with, uh, with these concepts. Right, well, that's great. Thank you, Carson, again. and. Listeners, we will talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the MCC. Yes, I'm a talk.